Welcome to Mechanations, a Mecha Media Analysis Podcast. I am your host, Ignis Maddox, coming at you solo this week with another Mechanations Mini. Before we get started with our conversation on Mobile Suit Gundam, I wanted to do a brief intro disc. Over the holidays, I played two different third-person action narrative games, Ryo Gakotoku Studios' Lost Judgment and Sony's Miles Morales. Miles Morales, jeez. <laughs> these are pretty comparable in a lot of ways. The main thing I wanted to talk about, though, is how the format for these games, third-person action titles that incorporate different styles of play, like stealth and like chases, sometimes emulated mini-games in the case of Lost Judgment, they also enjoy a cinematic storytelling when not in control and this is maybe the ideal video game format for me as far as storytelling that involves embodying a specific character. Lost Judgment is a detective game in the Yakuza game style, wandering around the fictional cities of Kamurocho and Ichincho, solving a mystery stemming from a bullying problem at a local high school. And Miles Morales is about the young new Spider-Man coming into his own while protecting the fictional city of New York. Solving a mystery stemming from corporate greed. <laughs> uh, Lost Judgment is comparably more grounded, but uh, in some ways, you know, if you're familiar with the Yakuza games, you know what I mean. You know, it's it's it wants you to be emotionally on the level with the characters in specific moments, but will completely embrace bombast whenever it feels like it, especially in combat situations. Uh, for me, at least, this is a great way of walking that tightrope of trying to deliver a story in a way that's digestible for most people while also embodying a character in a video game context spider-man you know being a superhero game doesn't need to disguise any of the bombast at any point in the same way that oh excuse me i hope i can get rid of that uh in the same way that last judgment has to but playing them so close together has helped plant the idea in my head of how much i like this kind of approach and you can see there are other games that are adopting the same sort of you know uh like final fantasy 7 remake a lot of people pointed out is is almost a, a final fantasy yakuza game which i guess would actually be a turks game but you know anyway square enix you can you can have that one for free i guess because i know you're listening um Anyway, you get your, your video game content in the combat and minigame sections, and you get rewarded with strong narrative that, that forwards the story as a progression, you know, a reward for progression. And, you know, if you want to live in the world for longer, you can do some more side quests. And, you know, in the case of, of both games, a lot of the times you get additional context from those side quests or, you know, those collectibles or what have you. Anyway, that's it. I just liked it. I <laughs> just think it's ideal, you know. I think there are people who get exhausted with the approach to combat that Lost Judgment and the Yakuza games have, at least before Yakuza Seven. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of into it. I don't know if I just have um, third-person action brain, where I, I just sort of enjoy uh, combo systems that are martial arts based and have stances and. You know, you'll have to adapt to different enemy types. Like I don't know. There's something about that kind of... Because, you know, it's interesting because uh, Lost Judgment has the sort of uh, legacy of the the Sega brawling virtual fighter uh, uh, systems that the development team previously worked on versus uh, Miles Morales is kind of responding to 
the Arkham games in its combat. Like it's it's definitely more in that vein where you have a specific tool assigned to each button where like your your square is your physical attacks and your triangle in the case of Spider-Man is like a like a zip that gets you from from person to person and you know your your O's are dodges and your X's maneuverability. Meanwhile, Lost Judgment is 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 kind of similar um, but the approach is mechanically closer to something like a fighting game where or or really it's more like a old school side scroller where you do have different tools assigned to each button in a, in a comparable way, but you really are only forced to use the square and triangle attacks in order to defeat enemies in a way that Spider-Man f- really will force you to adapt to different enemy types or different waves. And, you know, it, it keeps things fresh in a way that the Yakuza games haven't, you know, really managed to do for most people. I'm fine with it. I kind of enjoy how the combat doesn't ever get to the point where it's more fun than progressing the story for me like that to me is fine but i understand you know for other people if it turns the combat into kind of a slog i just never ever feel that way i'm kind of it's kind of a medium buzz that i'm happy with (laughs) anyway enough of that let's let's stop talking about non-mech things Let's go ahead and get started on the conversation for Mobile Suit Gundam Episode 41, Cosmic Radiance. This is Mobile Suit Gundam, episode 41, Cosmic Radiance, or A Cosmic Glow, or F's in chat for Lala. Degwin has decided he's added up to here with the whole war thing, so in secret, he is left to try and negotiate for peace. Meanwhile, Kaecilia is confronting Shar about his identity. This is not as tense a conversation as I would have expected. Kaecilia explains she was tipped off by Shar's incredible insight, Rilala, and announces that the new type thing has kind of derailed Shar from his plans with regard to revenge against the zombies. And Shar... agrees? Uh. Anyway, on the white face, meanwhile, they've met on the bridge and agree that probably... Amuro is a new type. Cool. Anyway, Shar tells Lala that she will lead the assault on the Gundam, and he will follow her lead, and gives her a big smooch. She asks him to start wearing a normal suit into battle, which he acquiesces to. Shortly after this chat, the battle is joined! Amuro is able to fend off the bits from the Elmeth, but in the process of extending his awareness in order to better combat them, he comes into direct contact with Lala. With this new connection, they discuss each other's positions before, you know, philosophy-wise, before being interrupted by Sela and Shar. Shar takes the lead on the battle with the Gundam, and in that process almost kills Sela before Lala's intervention. Amuro takes the opportunity to attack Shar, but Lala protects him in the final moment and is killed by Amuro's attack. In the background of all of this, meanwhile, the solar system has become fully operational. It can only fire once, but with this baby, once is probably all you need. 
In the final moments of the episode, Amuro comes to the bridge and announces that a white light of hate is coming to melt a thousand people. Alright, alright, let's get started on talking about this thing. Uh, just as a forewarning, I've got a lot to say about the, the Lala stuff coming up, so fair warning. It seems like this opening part with Degwin is one of the many portions of the story dedicating to showing how Xeon leadership is going to eat itself from within. You know, I, I, I'm not sure when exactly that process became like super explicitly the, the goal moving forward, but like it's pretty clearly what's happening now. I'm sure it was a priority, not in like a annoying way to prevent like a heroic victory for the military of the Federation that was due to like greater strength or value or whatever. And, you know, obviously, Degwin making this call at this point has more to do with, like, his general malaise with the conflict than suddenly discovering the value of peaceful correlations. That seems obvious to me, but it, it's worth stating, maybe. Uh, moving on to the scene with Kaecilia and Char, this scene is wild. Kaecilia has insight into Char's revenge quest? She, she like, you know, has she read the script? <laughs> I mean, my... Okay, to be, to be clear, my confusion about this has more to do with... So, so far, the show has been really coy about the Degwin thing. Not in a way where I don't think it's obvious what they're trying to imply, but I think it's more interesting to consider the, the vagueness of how it's presented to us and how that affects perception of events, right? And... The idea that that Char and Jimba could be uh, functioning from a not a misunderstanding, but an assumption, and how that domino effect, you know, basically creates the momentum for the whole show is interesting for me to consider. Not no like I want Char to be wrong about this. I want Degwin to be like on the up and up or whatever. It's more that I I feel like. Okay, to get to what I'm saying about Kaecilia, it feels weird for her to know why Char would want revenge, right? Because if Degwin did assassinate Lord Zeon, why would she know about it? Like, even in a world where, you know, Degwin is being 100% with his kids about his political plans, or, you know, she's, like, really canny about how things have moved forward, she wouldn't know for sure that that went down, right? Like, I, I don't know. Again, I, I want to be clear that I'm not confused as to what's happening in the show. It just feels like it's skipping steps for me. Like, it feels like there there was probably a reveal about, like, how, you know, Degwin 100% did assassinate Lord Zeon for political power that, that just didn't show up for reasons of cancellation. Um, but I don't know. I, I felt like this scene is so bizarre because not only does Kaecilia know 100% why Castful is is entering the military, which is to say revenge on the zombies, a thing she actually says. Um, it's, it's like... It's not weird for Kaecilia to look into Char because he puts a big sign on his back that says suspicious <laughs> he wears a mask to hide who he is 
But what I find weird is that Caecilia treats Char and his whole deal as though he is a fictional character in a TV show about giant robots to her and not a real person across the table who is maybe responsible for Garment's death. It's this whole conversation just doesn't play out in a way that otherwise the show has been pretty good about. Like typically I feel like the show, even when I, I want there to be more characterization, which is something I'll talk about later, the show feels like it is depicting real people a lot of the time rather than anime characters. This is something that I think Mobile Suit Gundam is really good at actually. Even if it's dealing with archetypes a lot of the time, it feels more like they act and react like people do rather than like archetypes kind of feel like they have to, which is a big thing with anime. Um, but still, it's it's weird that it, one, she knows exactly the details of his revenge quest in a way that an outsider looking in would understand it, um, rather than how her character should perceive it, which is like, I could see you having the idea about revenge because of how suspicious this is but i want you to know that as far as again i'm not i'm not trying to rewrite this it's completely fine it is like i would said a fairly straightforward conclusion that degwin assassinated lord zeon i just think that it's weird for kaecilia to present this information like she does it's also weird that Shar is on board with what Kaecilia has to say. It, it could be a ruse to keep her off her guard. Sorry, I punched the microphone. Uh, but I wonder if, you know, if Lala survived this war or even just this oncoming battle, I wonder if, you know, Kaecilia would have kept her head a little bit longer than she does. Uh, we, you know, we cut back to the white base and like... <laughs> I mean, what a waste of time this scene with the white bitches. I mean, here's what I'll say. I like Amuro trying to give everyone credit for the success of the white base. I think it's endearing. Um, but man, uh, this, the, you know, I'll talk about how an upcoming character scene has an asymmetry to it that I don't really like. But I, I do think that the asymmetry of information that the two sides have about new types is very funny. You know, um, it, it's very interesting how much emphasis there's been on the the new types as an idea in this latter part. But our protagonists have zero insight or clue into them. Um, and it's bizarre. It's bizarre on a storytelling level to try and parse like how much value we should be putting into the idea of new types as the like destiny of humanity or what have you uh, and you know i feel like there are people who would argue that I'm, I'm getting too stuck on the idea of protagonist and perspective characters and that i should zoom out a little bit and focus on the storytelling at hand i just don't think for me i am talking about the storytelling at hand and and for me why it doesn't work like i, I don't think this kind of trick they're trying to do of putting the like perceptive mystical princess on the antagonist side and what that means for an audience member or our protagonists i just don't think it works and i'll get into it later uh speaking of getting into it later i i think this kiss is weird with char and lala the vibes are so bad i really don't like learning that that you know char 
picked up Lala as an orphan. And, you know, there's, like, so little details about any of that stuff. Like, I, I was able to find that apparently he found her in an Indian brothel, which, you know, begs the question of what he was doing at the brothel. But I guess you could... I mean, whatever. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, it's just... I don't know. I, I, It feels like something that a lot of people in their breakdowns of Gundam don't appear to focus on overly hard. And I, I, I it, it feels like something that I don't necessarily have the tools to really get into super much other than I don't like it. <laughs> I think the vibes of the character is bizarre. Uh, of the characters are bizarre. Um, and that Lala and her role she'll be taking moving forward is like a gigantic mystery to me that watching the show has only made more opaque. Um, I don't talk much about the battle scenes, but the scope of this one is really cool. It has a great kind of like battle gaming scope to it with the huge amount of forces lining up and clashing. And it's really impressive considering how much the project was cut down. It's brief and it's compromised, but I, I do think it rules. All right. So, all right. This is gonna... I have a lot to say about the Lala and Amaro scene. Through the psychic rapport connection that Amaro and Lala have, we get something of a confrontation of philosophy, a, a conflict of morals. But, like, I don't... For me, I don't understand how... As an audience member, I'm supposed to take Lala and what she has to say. So I want to be clear that I understand that the idea of this scene is that these two new types are able to reach a level of understanding with each other that goes beyond the normal human perception that I can experience as a regular person. And that this is conveyed to us through the visuals. Um, the problem for me is that the dialogue which is the the stuff that the audience can be privy to the dialogue that gets through is weirdly asymmetrical i i don't understand lala's insights does she does she understand the state of the world of of this conflict does she get uh, insight into what amuro and his friends and family have been through because of the conflict through the psychic rapport amuro doesn't seem to learn anything about her so i don't feel like that's the case I guess what, I, what I'm trying to say in a more straightforward way is why should we take anything she has to say seriously? Is her judgment of Amuro text we should understand to be 100% true? Because it's, it's really weird. <laughs> like, I, I just don't understand, I guess, how it can be true that Amuro fights for nothing compared to what she is doing with Char. If she considers what she's doing with Char to be fighting for something with a capital S... You could replace her relationship to Char with literally anybody Amuro knows on the white base, and it's essentially just as deep a relationship as far as the audience is concerned, at least as far as we know. You could put a character into the show with special insight to tell us something about the story or other characters. The problem with Lala is the show wants me to provide basically all the context myself for her special insight, and it kind of feels like it's because of her coding. It's because she's like in air quotes, like, exotic or whatever. She she just, she has a, no characterization, no history to contextualize her, so it's really hard to understand what she has to say as anything but information for the audience to take seriously. But what she's kind of saying is, 
I don't know. It's nonsense in my opinion. I, I guess I've always taken for granted that Lala would have some kind of insight that made her like the philosophical yardstick for Gundam. But she's kind of just like a whimsical victim that Shar has propped up as the spiritual moral compass of Gundam. I want to stress that I understand that characters in a narrative aren't meant to be one-to-one representations of people. I I feel like that's worth stating out loud. That sometimes you create a character with a role or roles in mind that aren't to do with changing or representing a type of person realistically or what have you. But, But the way this is asymmetrical is annoying. To pretend that Amuro is out here like some kind of nihilistic person out here to fight in his cool action figure is disingenuous to me like we could have gotten there at some point and maybe that was the plan before the show got canceled but we sure as shit aren't there now it'd be easier to take this seriously if it felt like there was any sincere attempts to characterize Amuro in this way but basically failing to mention any character motivation for him is not the same as him not having any and his lack of response to Lala is honestly just as confusing Is he just out of his depth and that's why he can't think of any extremely straightforward possible reactions? I I don't know. It's supposed to be the process of the two new types coming around to understand each other. But the way it's written basically airs out all these sorts of critiques of Amuro before we get to hear any point of view he has on the matter. And it leads me to conclude that, you know, it's more of that stuff I was talking about the last time with Meg about how we are meant to be changing our perspective of the events of the show i just don't i it just doesn't work for me it feels like it's trying to tell us something that is true about the show that flies in direct contrast with the rest of the show and and i i guess i'm alone in that like i i feel like the the audience for gundam regards what lala has to say as sacrosanct and to me this scene is a character who is very compromised by her relationship with another character presenting a really skewed point of view and the show basically patting her on the back and saying that she's 100% right and that's bizarre I just don't understand it anyway uh I guess Shar always expected Lala's abilities to keep her alive and, and, you know, I think he, as someone who is extremely skilled, I think he takes for granted that, you know, people can be endangered under his care like this. I think we're supposed to draw that conclusion. I'm just a little surprised to see him react this strongly. Like, I, I suppose we aren't meant to understand his relationship to Lala as a manipulative one, but, like... I don't... It's so weird. It's it's the type of thing that in basically any other context, I, I feel like I, there would be a lot more discourse about how clearly yucky all of this is. I, I'm just not sure why, I guess... Maybe I've missed it. Maybe a lot of people have talked about it and, you know, I've just never seen it before. But, uh, ugh, boy, I just don't feel like people regard this character as compromised in a way that this story if i if if i had lived in a world without like a zeitgeist for mobile suit gundam i would be like oh 
this is a character who is utterly consumed with an idea of a person and it basically tints all of her judgments but i don't think that's what i'm supposed to take away from this scene <laughs> Uh, I also want to take the opportunity to acknowledge that Xeon took the Federation's idea about the solar system and basically made it bigger and more, you know, bombasty. It's interesting, you know, how much the solar system is, in the Xeon's hand, more like the Death Star than, than the Federation's hands. In, in the Federation, there was something a little bit more, like, clinical about it. There was something more, and I guess you could argue that that's like a, like a you know, purposeful sort of critique, that it's... It's trying to present what is ultimately like a, a death ray as like, you know, something mundane. Um, and at least Xeon is being straight up about it, I guess. I don't know. It's still a, like, you know, a giant space station to shoot a balefire beam. I do like the final moments of the episode as well with Amara's all echoey voice. I thought it was chilling. I, I appreciated the spookiness of it. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week. I know that this is a little bit shorter than people are used to. I know we usually do two episodes, but it really felt like this time around that the last two episodes are of a piece, and I wanted to do something special in order to cap off Gundam. So I wanted to give myself a little bit more time to work on that episode. Um, speaking of which... This is probably my formal announcement that the finale of Gundam is not going to be the following week uh, from this episode. I'm probably going to give myself two weeks to try and create a real capper to Machinations coverage of Mobile Suit Gundam. I would like to figure out if I could have a guest on, but to uh, uh, pull back the curtain a little bit, there are some technical issues I need to work out on that front before I can do that. Uh, you know, I was able to have Meg on on the last episode because, uh, you know, she is uh, uh, at hand. And so I can make that work in ways that with other guests would be a little bit more difficult. Uh, anyway, I'm going to probably release something on the feed next week one way or the other. It just might not be the Mobile Suit Gundam coverage. Uh, I would say pay attention to the Machinations Twitter. That's where all the formal announcements are going to go. Uh, I'll let you know what's going on there and what I've worked out for the future of Mobile Suit Gundam and Mechanations coverage. Uh, if you've got any questions or any comments, you can tweet at us at MechanationsPod. You can also send us an email at MechanationsPod at gmail.com. Until next time, maybe not Mobile Suit Gundam, but I will definitely be talking to you again. Bye-bye! Bye-bye!